Great, it's a privilege to be with you this morning. Folks, if you don't know me, my name is John and I'm the pastor of the Bodmin Light and Life Church and uh, also oversee the food bank here, which is a real privilege as well. So it's great to be back with you this morning. Uh, This morning, we're going to continue our series entitled Stepping Out. Hopefully it's there, it's there. And uh, two weeks ago, Pete was here and took you through the Battle of Jericho. Oh, what a great Bible story that is, isn't it? It's like every Sunday school teacher's delight, isn't it? So they march around the walls, the walls fall down, everything happens on day seven. Absolutely amazing. Well, now we come to the sequel, and like any good movie, I'm afraid the sequel is actually a bit of a disappointment, so I'm sorry about that. We're coming to chapters seven and eight of Joshua. And the sequel you'll see this morning is not just a little disappointing, but actually pretty devastating. For where God's people thought they were, this is where they actually end up. So we're going to read this passage together, and uh, if you do glance in your Bible at chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Joshua, you'll realise they're pretty epic, they're pretty lengthy, and uh, bearing in mind the clocks have already gone back this morning, I thought it wouldn't keep you too long. So I'm going to summarise some of it and take us through some of it. So here goes. This is uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 7. So as I said, they've just basically seen Jericho fall, and then this comes next. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, what a great pedigree, and of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. That's the devoted things. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And basically they then go into battle against a little place called Ai, and as they go into battle against this place called Ai, the battle is lost, and 36 of them are killed, and all because of one man's sin. Joshua then goes on to pray this. Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been rooted by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Well, the Lord tells him that it's because the people have sinned. And he tells Joshua to assemble them all in order and he'll work his way through the Israelites until he finds the person who has committed the sin. And that happens in verse 19 when he gets to a little fellow called Achan. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honour him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. And sadly, Achan and his family and all his possessions are taken and stoned and then burned. So like many sequel movies, to be honest, this one is a bit of a letdown. The story was going so well, and now it goes pretty badly. And I don't know how you're going to approach this passage this morning, and that's very much a summary of it. But actually what we're going to do together is explore the issue of sin. And actually, especially secret sin. So what is sin? Well, sin is anything that separates us from the loving holiness that is our God. 
So that's the things that we think, the things that we do, the things that we say that are basically self-orientated, that maybe promote us, that maybe hurt God, certainly hurt God. The things that keep us from all that he wants us to be. And sin is such a big thing that only could be dealt with by Jesus coming and dying in our place. And actually, sometimes we have a bit of a problem with sin. And, you know, is it sort of trendy these days to talk of sin or not? I don't care if it's trendy or not. There's plenty of it in the scripture that needs dealing with. If it was big enough for Jesus to come and die for it, I think it's big enough to talk about, don't you? Yes, John. Good. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to think a little bit about sin. And I reckon there's often a problem when we talk about it. It's a bit like those moments in primary school. Do you have those moments in primary school where they go, you! And you'll go, do you have those moments? And despite the fact it's not you, you still feel that, oh gosh, or was that just me? You sort of feel that sense of guilt. And so when we talk about sin, actually it can be a bit awkward. And I love the fact we've just been so clearly in the presence of God as we go to talk about this stuff, okay? We come from that perspective of that God who is mighty to save, everything we've sung about. We, sing, we come before that God who is able to set us free. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. That's what we want. Because our challenge is to be very real before God this morning. You're not going to get you to do anything that will embarrass you. Let me reassure you of that. But I do want us to do business with God today. And when we think about sin, then no doubt some of us will be here this morning very aware of our sin. We'll be aware of those times we've failed God. And actually, maybe you're struggling to even be here this morning. You're thinking, well, what right do I have to be here? Let me reassure you, you have every right to be here because God reaches out to us, as we'll discover as we work our way through this passage. Some of us will have come aware of our sin this morning and we'll have dealt with it in that time of worship. That's the privilege of worship is we get our place before the Lord and we're able to deal with those things that maybe separate us from him. So we may have repented, that is, asked God's forgiveness and turned away from that sin. And we may be now experiencing his forgiveness. But naturally, some of us also this morning will be concealing our sin. Whatever that sin is and the likelihood of it likelihood is that it's probably a secret sin. Those sins that we would dread anybody in the congregation knowing about. So some of us may be, well be here concealing that sin this morning, and actually we're probably doing it pretty well, because we may well have concealed those sins for many, many years. And of course some of us will be here and we'll be doing okay. We will be living in holiness. We will be living the way that the Lord would want us to live dedicated to the Lord. Nothing is to be kept as plunder. And it would appear that all the people obey this except for one man, Achan. And so the Israelites, unaware of Achan's secret sin, go into the next battle. They've just seen Jericho fall. Amazing story. Can you imagine telling your grandchildren that one? And then they go into the next battle. And this should have been pretty straightforward. So the narrative says that basically Jericho has been explored by the spies And already Joshua thinks, well, that's a really good idea. Let's repeat that methodology. So he again sends spies into the land of Ai. They come back and they say, well, Joshua, it's looking good. We only need two to 3,000 people. So edging his bets, Joshua goes for the full 3,000, wouldn't we all? He sends the 3,000 in. And in battle, they're destroyed. 36 of them are killed and the Israelites leg it in defeat. And they and Joshua, of course, are absolutely gutted. What has happened? That one minute they're destroying cities, the next minute, 36 of them are killed. And Joshua's prayer is remarkably like those at the time of Moses. 
if only we'd been content to stay on the other side. If only we'd stayed back in Egypt, or in this case, if we'd only stayed back heading towards the promised land. If only we'd been content to stay on the other side. Think about what Joshua had just seen. He'd seen Jericho completely destroyed. He'd seen the mighty evidence that God is at hand. Let me just help you with a bit. I'm sure Pete took you through this, but blowing trumpets is not a great way of bringing down a city's walls, okay? Just in case you're going to try it on the way home, right? It doesn't really work unless God uh, directs it and unless God works. He's seen that happen. He's also seen all that God has done through Moses. Joshua was Moses' sidekick. He would have seen amazing things happen in those times. But it's almost like he's forgotten already at this point. Now he blames God. What good will this do to our name, Lord? And what good will it do to your name, for goodness sake? What a letdown. And don't we so easily do the same? Don't we see God work in amazing ways and we rejoice in it, we get excited about it. But once things maybe go a little bit skew, then we forget it and turn to blame God. But actually so often it's not God who's at fault. But his people are at fault. We're at fault. You see, sin has consequences. Sin damages and destroys, and it impacts whole communities. This passage makes that so clear. Sin doesn't stop at ourselves. We may presume it does. We might even spend time convincing ourselves that it does. You know, anything I do, it's it's personal, it's just me. It doesn't really impact on anybody else. But the fact is, it doesn't remain with us. It has an issue and has an impact on those around us and the community we're part of. And the trouble is that we live in such an individualistic society, don't we? It tells us otherwise all the time. So how many times have we heard these phrases? What I do, personally, doesn't really affect you. Or something like, what happens behind closed doors doesn't really affect anyone. Well, this chapter, and therefore I'd suggest scripture, clearly suggests that this just isn't true. Sin is like a stone that causes ripples in the pond. You know, the person who has an affair, and I've sat with people who've had affairs and gone, it doesn't really affect anybody else, does it? And then I've sat with the wife in that situation. I've mopped up the children in that situation. I've dealt with the fallout amongst their friends. I've dealt with the fallout in the community, and I've dealt with the fallout in the church, sadly. What is it about the human heart, Jeremiah 9.17, that deceives us so much that we tell ourselves it's not going to have an impact on other people? Or perhaps more privately, stuff that we feel we're able to contain, like pornography. And we think, well, it's so secret, nobody's ever going to know what issue will it have on anybody else. But think of the attitudes it generates within us towards the opposite sex. Think of the understanding it gives us of relationships, the perverted version it gives us of relationships. And ultimately, the act of worship it becomes. It takes us away from serving the Lord because we are serving our own desires instead. Sin hurts. And it doesn't just hurt us, it hurts others too. It causes ripples in the pond. As John Donne put it, the great poet, no man is an island, and this is certainly true now as it was then. Achan's sin has consequences for the whole people of Israel. And so God tells people, tells Joshua rather, to bring the people together, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, and then family by family. 
And once the guilty person is found, he and his family and his possessions must be destroyed. And so the people line up, they're all in the queue, and you can imagine what Achan's feeling like at this point. This is his primary school awkward moment, all right? He stood in the queue waiting. And as the numbers go ahead of him, and the numbers break down, break down, and he can see Joshua ahead of him, Achan's heading towards that judgment. And you know, the saddest thing in this passage is this, that Achan doesn't take the opportunity to confess, but waits to be found out. He waits to be found out. Folks, where are you at this morning? Are you in that queue and you feel yourself getting nearer and nearer to Joshua and you're going, oh no, it's coming. Or do you say, stuff the queue, let me run to the front, let me confess what's going on because I know God's forgiveness. How do we know God's forgiveness? Look at this great verse. Try that again. Look at this great verse. If we confess our sins, says John, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The promise of God. But look at that clause at the beginning. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Folks, don't wait to be found out this morning. But come, come knowing that that loving God calls us to put ourselves in the right place because God's heart is for repentance, not punishment. God wants to see us set free. But don't fool yourself. The ball is firmly in your court and in my court. We have to act and respond to it. So why do we hold on to these things? Why is living free something, something, suddenly something that actually we will resist that doesn't really appeal as it ought to? Why do we struggle? Tony Campolo, an American sociologist, great preacher, is one of my heroes, really. And he tells this great story of how he went to this service and the preacher's going, sin hurts, sin destroys, sin rots you from the inside, excuse the accent. And Campolo says he sits there and he goes, I don't know what sort of sin this preacher was on about, but it wasn't my sin, because my sin, I was loving it. And you know, isn't that true for many of us in any circumstances as well? We hear these talks, we hear that call, we realise that even as we look at Jesus hanging on the cross that he died there for our sin, and yet we think, well actually, my sin's not really having an impact. And the secret sins particularly just grind us down, we hold on to them, and we get to that point where actually we're able to justify that sin. Well, it's just because I'm lonely, it's just because I'm struggling with these things, it's just because life's not great, it's just because of what others have done. Jesus hangs on the cross. Not for sin that doesn't make a difference, but a sin that he knows so well destroys our relationship with God. You see, something within us often convinces us that sin doesn't hurt anyone else. And society seems to endorse this until it goes wrong. We've seen it of late, haven't we, in Hollywood with Harvey Weinstein? You know, the private seem to be just fine until it becomes public, and then everybody wants to talk about it. It's as if society tolerates sin so long and then thinks, well, hang on a minute, this has gone a bit out of control. And now we hear potentially it's MPs and other public institutions too that would abuse women. Are we going to wait until those moments where we go, whoa, it's gone too far? Or are we going to sort ourselves out with the Lord beforehand? Because Achan gets to the front of the queue. He's not taken the moment to confess. He's not rushed there. He's not looked for God's forgiveness, but instead waits to be found out. But when he gets there, and this is his one redeeming feature, his starting point is God. He says this, 
I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Not sorry, Josh, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry for all the people that were killed. He recognizes that his sin is first and foremost against the Lord. And you know, folks, I think sometimes we can forget that. Sometimes we can end up in that position where we see how we've hurt other people. We see what devastation is brought around us, but we forget that ultimately it's God that we've hurt and it's ultimately God we need to get right with. Achan's prayer echoes that of David in Psalm 51, verse 1. You remember this when he has his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. He writes Psalm 51 as a response. And his opening line is this, against you, this is the Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. He recognises that ultimately our sin hurts God first and foremost. You see, our sin has huge consequences for our relationships, for our well-being, and our communities, but ultimately and fundamentally it hurts our God. And we need to understand it as such. It hurts God so much that he has to send Jesus. It hurts God so much and yet he still continuously reaches out to us and even this morning says, come to me, come to me. Don't get stuck in that sin, but come to me and know me in all fullness. But you know, sin is something that mankind's been battling against since day one, and don't we know it? But look at this. I'm fascinated by this. Look at the parallel between the fall, that is in Genesis, and what's happened here to young Achan. This is what I have done, says Achan. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. Genesis 3, verse 6 says this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Do you see the parallels? We see, we cover a rather old word which basically means I desire it. We see it, we desire it and ultimately we take it. Do you see where we need to stop? We need to stop at the seeing bit. We need to actually decide that we're not going to watch those films that lead us from the Lord. We're not going to say those things that lead us from the Lord. We're not going to do those things that lead us from the Lord. Don't let sin settle within us. And folks, please don't believe the lies that a little bit of sin won't hurt you. Scripture teaches so clearly that it does. And don't believe the lies that you can keep sin to yourself and it won't hurt anyone. It does. The whole community suffers here because of one man's sin. Achan does take responsibility for his sin. And we need to do the same. And let me make clear, really clear at this point, that I'm not talking about sins done to us by other people, but we need to take responsibility for our own sins. Verse 